it has to be internal. And the only thing internal is discipline. Because then when I'm, like I said, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I didn't sleep well, I had nightmares. Discipline says that I have to live a structured life and that I need to work out. I need to eat right. I need to have a structured schedule in order to be able to run this big machine called HQ, where we have five or six businesses running out of here. Discipline forces me to have structure. Motivation is fleeting. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to our episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Bedros Koulian. Bedros is an entrepreneur, a podcaster, a business coach, speaker, and author. Today on the show, we discuss steps you can take to regain control of your life, the not-so-obvious bad habits that can ruin you, how to fix limiting beliefs and a negative mindset, how to transform trauma into personal growth, the four things you must control if you want to live a good life, how to prepare yourself to deal with adversity, why fitness is the ultimate tool for personal growth, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Bedros Koulian back to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Bedros, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Doug. Thanks for the opportunity. Yep. Of course. I feel like there's a lot of people right now they are just feeling lost in life. Their habits are out of control. Their mindset's out of control. And they just feel like they're completely overwhelmed, have no control over, over anything. What do you say to somebody who would be like a good first step to start to regain some sense of control and autonomy in their life so it doesn't get worse? This is going to be the easiest answer on the planet. And I know what people are going to do when they listen to this answer. They're going to go, it can't be that easy. So my chimpanzee brain must complicate it because surely the answer must be more complicated. And the answer is this, get jacked, get lean and jacked. Because if you feel out of control, you don't know what's going on in the world, maybe your marriage is falling apart, maybe your work and your business is falling apart, maybe everything around you is falling apart and you have zero control over that. You have absolute control over what you eat. You have absolute control over how hard you work out. You have absolute control over your sleep patterns. You have absolute control into letting what thoughts and ideas and information come in. You do those things, get lean, jack, athletic, and start changing the information that's coming into you, right? Input determines output. And then all of a sudden, you're like, dude, I'm looking great. I'm jacked. I'm muscular. I'm lean. If I could control this human animal, I can certainly control other elements around me. That's why I say fitness is the gateway drug to a, an awesome life. Yeah, I mean, your habits determine everything. And I, I so agree with you that fitness is that gateway drug because there's not many things that give you self-confidence, um, good endorphin rush, better community, better sleep, better stress management, everything else than, than fitness. For, for the person who has been sitting on the couch for the last like 10 years, 10 months, and they're like, all right, I want to get jacked, but I've tried the, the program where I just go from zero to 100 and I've fallen flat on my face. I've tried this and I've just I've started to, too quick. Like, where do you suggest somebody start to, to make progress that actually lasts? Well, maybe instead of going from zero to 100, they just go zero to 10. So if you've been like, if there's an indentation on the couch where your ass was, then maybe first thing we do is we get you to just maybe walk three miles a week. And that's one mile every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. 
And then we just go in the gym after that for 30 minutes and actually bring it, like bring the workout. Don't just look at your phone and sit on the bench press and start tweeting and twatting, but instead actually bring it. And then just skip the sugars and skip the heavy carbs and eat a more eat more protein. Try doing that five days a week. So you got two days a week of being a heathen animal, but five days a week of actually eating clean. Those simple things going from zero to 10, you're like, dude, I'm getting stronger. My cardiovascular is improving. I might go a fourth day a week. I might actually add another mile to my daily walk or run. Or that walk might turn into a jog, turns into a run. Because when we try and go from nothing to all, we go very quickly from all to nothing, right? And that never works out. Yeah, it never works out. And I think one of the other things that holds people back, and I know you've had your struggles of limiting beliefs, I've had my struggles of limiting beliefs, is they're like, all right, I'm never going to achieve this thing. Or my, my parents told me that I was a loser growing up. Or whatever the story is, yeah. like, what advice do you have for somebody who's trying to like, overcome some of these limiting beliefs that have been just living in their mind for the last... And, and that's a real thing, man. Um, dude, for me, like, I was molested as a kid. Uh, growing up. Between the ages of four and six, I was molested by two older boys. And then we escaped the Soviet Union, come to to the United States, and then I'm bullied by all the neighborhood gangbangers because we're living in Section 8 housing. And so there's a lot of limiting beliefs in my head. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. You know, I can't trust people, right? And so that used to haunt me. So imagine if I said, Doug, you and I are about to do a 100-meter race uh, the only difference is that I'm going to put this 50-pound kettlebell, I'm going to handcuff it to your ankle. You are now at a deficit. There's no way there's any chance, no matter how good of an athlete you are, with the 50-pound kettlebell wrapped around your ankle, that you're going to beat me at this 100-meter race. That's what those stories are that we have in our heads. Yes, trauma happened. Bad things happened. Bad people did bad things. They, you know. But at the end of the day, you took all these stories, and instead of processing them, healing through them, working with the therapist, reading books, doing the self-mastery work, self-development work. You took those stories and then you started kind of weaving them together and building it into your identity. And then you start looking in the world to go, okay, well, you know what? Uh, I'm introverted. I'm always anxious. I'm always depressed. Uh, I, I hate people and I can't trust people. That's become your identity because of the stories that you've lived. Then you go, aha, see, that guy's shady, that guy's shifty. You start looking for evidence in the world to justify how you feel, which then re-engineers your story. So I got an idea. The human condition is we're all going to feel some level of suffering, adversity, hardship, trauma. What if we can actually heal through it, work with a good coach, mentor, therapist, read a book, take a course, and when you heal and process through it, you're no longer walking around with all these open sores on your body. That's how, I, that's how I envision limiting beliefs. They're a byproduct of trauma or bad things that took place in your life. You didn't heal through it, so you've got all these open sores, and you're bumping into other people that have open sores, and you're like, ouch, hey, watch it, that hurt. Well, it hurt because I've got open wounds, you've got open wounds. If we could just heal when we shake hands as friends, it won't be so painful. What were some of the things that, that helped you like with your limiting beliefs personally? I mean, I know you talked about your story and what happened to you as a kid. I know you struggled with panic attacks, anxiety, like all these things that you had going on in your 30s. And now um, you've come out on the other side of that. And I know it's, like you said, it's yeah. not an easy thing. What, what, what helped you? It's not. It's a, it's a journey, right? And I think one of the, the highest purpose of any human, the highest purpose is self-mastery. Because you and I are born. 
No one hands us a, a owner's manual that goes, hey, here's how Doug operates. Here's how Bedros operates. No one. And then our parents just do the best they can by guessing, oh, well, you know, he likes having music on when he sleeps. Okay, got it. Oh, look at that. Uh, he likes uh, sunny days over cloudy days. And so they kind of start telling you, hey, these are the things we think you like. But really, there's no game plan. There's no owner's manual. And I think our creator has made it that way so that we go, all right, I have thoughts, I have feelings, I have emotions. That's one plane that I live on. I have a physical body here that I could strengthen or let weaken. But ultimately, over time, it's going to decay and get old. So I live on the emotional feeling plane. I live on the physical plane as this human body. But then I'm also radiance. I have a soul. I have a spirit. I have this energy. I have a consciousness um, that I want to connect to the higher power with. So I live on three different planes. Holy crap. And there's no owner's manual. So I better start figuring myself out. That is the highest level of purpose that we could achieve, which is self-mastery. Start working on self first. Heal yourself. And then you can go, all right, how do I want to serve the world? What do I want to give to the world? Maybe it's a product, service, whatever the thing is. But that comes after healing yourself and developing into the highest version. So where I started, now I'm 49 now. At the age of 38, I had a massive panic attack. Building up to that, I'm trying to build a franchise, Fit Body Bootcamp. I have a coaching business that's eh, doing okay, but not great. I have a software company that's just trying to take off. Then I have a marriage and I have kids, right? And then all that with this trauma and this pain and this stories that I've told myself that I'm an immigrant and so they don't like me here in this country. And I always get the short end of the stick and I have to work twice as hard, three times as hard as everybody else. All right. Well, at some point, thankfully, I had that panic attack at the age of 38. Dude, I thought it was a heart attack. It was so scary. I thought I was having a heart attack. And so I went to the doctor. And I was like, dude, I think I had a heart attack. They check me, okay, no heart attack, you're fine. You think you had a panic attack. And I'm like, well, I do have a pretty stressful life and I am pretty like overwhelmed. And so they put me on Xanax. That is not the solution, I can tell you that. They, the, the pharmaceutical drugs they put you on to mask the symptoms of what you're feeling is not the solution. So thankfully, four days in, I call the doctor. I'm like, look, dude, this thing makes me numb. I have no creativity. I have no desire to work. I don't want to take Xanax because I'm going to go bankrupt. What's my other solution? He goes, how about talk therapy? Have you worked with a therapist to maybe work through your shit? I was like, well, that's for broken people. Like, I don't need that, right? And so, but reluctantly, I went and found a good therapist, Kevin Downing, out here in Brea, California. And he said, you know, give me four weeks and I can give you some tools to work with your anxiety, to help you cope with your anxiety. And he did. Uh, he taught me halt. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, deal with it instead of ignoring it and then flipping out, right? Like the alcoholic, if he's hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, he's more likely to go back to drinking. So address that stuff. Process through it. Eat, sleep, get love and connection, rest. So uh, they taught me Anxiety is anticipation of future pain, which was like a big light bulb for me. I'm like, holy crap. Okay, anxiety is anticipation of future pain. So really, I'm living in the future, anticipating something going wrong with a business partnership, with my marketing system, with a sales team, with a whatever. And so I'm freaking out over something that hasn't even happened yet, but has the potential to happen. But if I just have a conversation and fix it before it goes bad, which was the third thing he taught me, which is action alleviates anxiety. Uh, so he teaches me this over like a four-week period, and I'm like, Kevin, you know, I used to have this like 
constant feeling of anxiousness in my gut. I don't have it anymore. So that was the end of our sessions. And he said, hey, before you leave, is there anything else you want to work on? I was like, no, everything else is fine, man. Peace. You taught me what I needed. Well, as it turns out, because he, he did such a good job in those four weeks in building rapport and trust with me, I, uh, he goes, what about your parents? I'm like, nah, everything was fine with my parents. My dad was a little heavy-handed, you know, former communist. I go, plus what happened to me in the old country was far worse than any, you know, slapping around and beating my dad would have given me. I threw that little nugget out. And he was like, what happened? And that's where we kind of opened up the can of worms about the fact that I was molested as a child um, by two older boys. And the weight of that kind of carried into my adulthood. We spent the next 15 months, man, talking through it. So that's what did I do? I did talk therapy with a good therapist who was able to help me process through what happened and help me work through the shame, the rage, the confusion that I had. Uh, I read many of books, um, many of books on self-help, like The Body Keeps the Score, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, How to Heal, like dozens of books. Um, I, I started doing hard things that were out of my comfort zone. This is when I started doing these six-week challenges because I was like, you know what? Tony Robbins always says the fastest way to change your mental and emotional state is to change your physical state. Uh, I've always said that I'm a lifter. God's designed me to lift weights, yet I've always been kind of interested in running. Like, could I run a marathon if I really needed to? Uh, I'd never even run a mile. And so I hired a running coach, trained for six weeks, and then ran a marathon. And that broke so many limiting beliefs. That made me realize that what other areas of my life have I been doubting myself in that I could actually break through? So for me, it was physical challenges. It was books and courses. And it was working with a therapist. And some of the sessions with Kevin, dude, I would walk out of his session. It was like walking through molasses. It was just like walking through this, like trudging through this thick molasses where you're foggy headed, you're emotionally spent, you just feel gutted. And the next two days, you're just walking through molasses. But you have to go through that, I believe, to be able to heal and come out the other side. 15 months later, I was a new man. And I know it because... My business hockey sticked. My relationship got better. People would come up to me and go, dude, you look lighter. Something about you looks lighter, better, like you're not carrying this weight. Like, what is up with you? Like, I think I had this dark cloud over my head, anger, rage, and I didn't even realize it. So healing looks like that. There is no one way to heal. It's a multi-pronged approach to heal, and it takes time, but it's worth the work. Worth the work, and congrats on everything that you've overcome with all of that and I think that like going back to the beginning a lot of people still have like this they have this dark cloud over their heads and you've talked about like how trauma can play a massive role in that but I also think sometimes people just make it worse based on their habits where they're spending time with the wrong people they're not sleeping well we talked about the importance of exercise which we can get back to nutrition what they're watching on tv like what are some of the things that are often overlooked by people that are just destroying their life on a daily basis you know, you know that it's like okay well I got this Let's say I got this trauma. I was traumatized because I was molested by two older boys for two years. Uh, okay, so maybe, maybe drinking might trigger that. Maybe high levels of stress might trigger those feelings more. Maybe people in my life who are not aligned with my core values, not congruent with the way I want to live my life might trigger those things, right? And so it's funny that we have these traumas these limiting beliefs, these self-doubts, 
And then we end up surrounding ourselves with people who don't align with our core values. They make us, not make us, but they encourage us to, someone can make you do anything. They encourage you to stay out late, eat shitty foods, spike your insulin, take all this caffeine and energy drinks and fucking Adderall and stimulants where now you're super anxious. Because we're all, what, are, what is all that stuff? Sugar, carbs, caffeine, Adderall, drugs. Anything that stimulates your system is energy. Well, anxiety is energy that needs to be released. And so why am I doing that? And then you start having those dark, scary thoughts because now you got all these ener- this energy. Oh my God, I have to cope with it somehow. Let me smoke some weed. Let me drink some alcohol to escape from my reality, to numb myself, to bring myself down. But that's only a vice that is masking the problem. The next day you wake up and you feel guilt for one, spiking your energy, and then two, down-regulating with alcohol and weed. You're hungover. You, you didn't get anything done. You feel shitty about the friends that you have, the food that you eat. So you start by, you know, what, what, what's the overlooking thing? Your circle of influence. Like curate who's in your circle of influence. That's number one. In fact, Dan, oh man, I forget his name. It's not Dan Kennedy. It's a Dan something who says, the two highest determining factors of your success or failure in life are the thoughts that occupy your mind and the people you surround yourself with. Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan. Right? So Dan Sullivan says, if you can curate who's hanging around with you, if me and Doug have the same core values, we have the same mission in life, we are driven by uh, serving humanity, we're going to hang out together. But if all of a sudden... Pedro starts drinking, snorting cocaine, hanging out with a lot of hookers. You're like, bro, that's not the lifestyle I want to live, and that's actually going to take me off track from my goal. I'm like, come on, bro, let's just do one, one, line of, one line of cocaine off that hooker's tits. You'll be fine, right? You have to disconnect from this relationship. Otherwise, I'm taking you down with me. And so it's important to understand if you can control your environment, your circle of influence, so you have to eliminate or edit people, number one. Number two, control the input, the thoughts that occupy your mind, social media, news media, even. So, you know, we run this thing called The Project, uh, and it's a very polarizing thing. We take men, a group of men, you know, 15 to 35 men, and for 75 hours straight, we put them through physical, mental, emotional suffering run by a Navy SEAL, uh, a Marine, uh, myself, uh, an MMA fighter, and we also have a lot of school time, meaning they sit at a desk, they learn life structure, how to develop their core values, their life's mission and purpose, et cetera. So it's not just beating them down, you know, log carries, uh, ice baths, truck pulls, long hikes. It's not just that for 75 hours. But it's very polarizing. And when we put out the videos on social media, we leave out those videos that show them in the classroom setting. We show the really cool stuff. But some of the cool stuff is also these angry instructors yelling at them, grown-ass men. And so we have a lot of trolls who have dedicated specific YouTube shows or YouTube channels to just shitting on the project. Cool. I'm cool with that. Freedom of speech. Do what you want. I understand that on my journey to success and to serving humanity, I will be misunderstood. Even Jesus and Gandhi and Mother Teresa have websites and YouTube channels that are dedicated to shitting on them. So what absolves me from that? However... Someone who I know on Instagram, but I'm not friends with. I've never met in person, but he comments a lot. He, he's usually a good person. 
he sent me a link to one of those videos of a troll just shitting on the project and how we're grifting and how we're this and how we're that. Because they don't really see how we serve these men. And some of these men are damn near suicidal and we help them not end life. He sends me this link. And he probably had the best of intentions. And I said, hey, do me a favor. Don't ever send me anything like this again. You can imagine already a ton of people are sending me that. Pedros, did you see this YouTube channel talking shit on the project? I need to control the input because if I see enough of that, I'll begin to wonder, maybe I should stop doing the project. Maybe it's a little too much the way we deliver it. Maybe we should re-edit the videos so it's not as violent. But it's the violence, emotional, physical, mental violence that attracts the men into it. And so I have to curate my thoughts, the input, the information that comes in, my circle of influence. And then, of course, what I ingest and digest, the food, the water, the alcohol, the et cetera, because that all has a chemical reaction in my body. That said, the fourth and final thing is I have to be physically active. I think the most overused source of antidepressants are pharmaceutical drugs and food and the under, most underutilized source of really feeling better and overcoming your anxieties and depression is exercise. And so if I can exercise on a regular basis, even when I'm tired, even when I'm sad, even if I didn't sleep well, even if it's cold, even if it's raining outside, even if I got bad news, still going to go out, do my workout because it releases dopamines and dopamines make me feel good. And I earn those dopamines instead of taking them from drugs or alcohol or vape or whatever. I'm usually going to have a good life if I can keep those four things under control. A couple things I want to dive into. I think like first, like just based on what you just said, I think a lot of times, you know, I've been a trainer for over 12 years. And when people get busy, when people get stressed, they tend to forget about exercise and eating well, which I believe that's the time to really like double down because yeah. that's going to help, I think, that much more. Um, and I think it's just so important. And you see just the everyday people do this like a lot. So like, how do you like win that battle of the mind on a daily basis because you know you're you got a lot going on. I'm sure yeah. there's days you're tired, exhausted. Like how do you win that battle? It's a battle that can't be won through motivation or self-inspiration or having Doug inspire me, motivate me, pump me up. It has to be internal. And the only thing internal is discipline. Because then when I'm like I said, when I'm tired, when I'm hungry, when I didn't sleep well, I had nightmares, maybe me and the me, me and the wife got into an argument. And so whatever. Discipline says that I have to live a structured life and that I need to work out, I need to eat right, I need to have a structured schedule in order to be able to run this big machine called HQ where we have five or six businesses running out of here. And so some days I go to the gym under protest. I don't go there, you know, yippee, it's exciting, I can't wait. I go there under protest. Uh, in fact, Layton's worked out with me before. Uh, some days, most days, I'm mumbling to myself and talking to myself and, you know, literally coaching myself through the workouts in a positive way. Then there's those days that I woke up angry and bitter and didn't feel like going, so I'm going to the gym under protest, but I'm going anyway because of discipline. And then those days, I might be using very choice words that are not so motivational, not so inspirational. I'm just cussing up a storm at the dumbbells, at the pull-up bar, at the turf that I'm pushing the sled on guess what? I got it done anyway, because discipline forces me to have structure. Motivation is fleeting. And I think one of the other things that kind of helps people stay accountable and keep going is like being accountable to somebody else and having a mentor and having people coach them. I know you coach 
some of the most successful people in, in, in my industry and in your industry and that you've had mentors along the way too. And you mentioned that you don't let the, the, the feedback from your project event like consume your mind. But I also know that you have people in your corner that you bounce off ideas off of and people who maybe give you some constructive feedback. So how can people balance those two? Because I feel like sometimes people are just so overconsumed with like negativity and stuff online, or they're the opposite where they think they know everything right. and they push everybody away. Yeah, and the solution to that that I found as I've gotten older is ego. The more I can control my ego, put it aside, because ego kind of puts on blinders and you stop seeing the asshole version of yourself. You stop seeing the arrogant version of yourself. You start surrounding yourself. If you're very egotistical, you start surrounding yourself with yes men and yes women who just want to appease you. If you can put the ego aside and go, hey man, give me honest feedback. Give me honest feedback. I need to improve and I don't know what I don't know and you guys have outside eyes on me. I trust your core values. I trust the kind of man you are. I, I love the character and the integrity that you walk in. Uh, same with you and same with you. So here it is, guys. Brutal, honest feedback. I may get hurt, but give it to me anyway. And so it's imperative to do that. Most people don't do that because, well, you are going to get hurt. It doesn't feel good when a friend says, you know, B, this is how you show up sometimes. Oh, shit, I didn't realize I show up like a bull in a china closet. And then immediately we go to defense. Yeah, but the reason I was that, like that on that day is because I got some bad news from a coaching client, and, and he was upset, and I wanted to help him, but I couldn't. And so I came into HQ kind of red hot, you know? And so I didn't really mean, see, B, you're actually now being defensive about it. You asked me for feedback. And so you have to just sit there, put your ego aside, take the feedback. And then oftentimes I'll ask, well, can you give me examples? You know, give me examples. And instead of being defensive about it or explaining why it was that way, I go, got it, understood. So that's how you saw it? Yep. And that's what, how it made you feel? Yep. First off, I'm sorry. Secondly, it won't happen again. We need to ask for feedback. We need to cultivate feedback from people that we are aligned with in core values, character, and integrity, that we feel that you know, we honor them, we respect them. Because I won't go get feedback from someone who is fat and sloppy and out of shape and sloth-like because we just don't share the same vision, man. What's been like a shift that you've made in the last year that's led to a lot of growth for you? The shift that I made last year that's led to a lot of growth is, dude, I started my podcast, The Bedros Cooling Show. You, you and I have known each other for a while. I had The Empire Show for four years where I'm interviewing other entrepreneurs or me and Craig Ballantyne, we're co-hosts, you know, we're kind of bouncing things off each other. And I had The Empire Show for four years. We did 209 episodes. There's always me and somebody else. So you always feel like someone else is carrying the weight, um, you know, if this episode thrives or if it doesn't, it was on us. I started the Bedros Cooling Show, and it's just me looking down the barrel of the camera and delivering from my radiance, from my gut, speaking to men about the topics of men and about what's happening to humanity today and in our world today. And it's forced so much personal growth because that's when you realize, okay, I feel called to do this, but I also realize it all hinges on me. The success of every episode hinges on me. When people say they hate how this episode is, they're really saying how they hate me, right? So you have to develop a thicker skin, put, put more ego aside, develop even higher levels of self-confidence, become even more congruent, which led to me going, you know, because I would you know, tell people on the show, like, fellas, like, if you're over drinking, if you're over smoking weed, like, stop it. You know, you're just escaping from your, your realities. Why are you doing that? 
And then last November 12th, I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm drinking, I'm an occasional drinker. I'll drink at a restaurant. I'll have a cocktail or two. Or when I'm speaking at an event, if there's a meet and greet that's going to happen, I had told myself, my story was, I'm an introvert. I don't like doing the meet and greet, but the event host who had me speak also paid extra for me to do the meet and greet. So I just have a couple of cocktails. I can loosen it up, take the edge off, do the meet and greet. Bro, I'm a grown-ass man. I could take the edge off by just having good self-talk and then going out there and meeting people and asking great questions and letting them feel special and then taking a selfie picture with them. The fuck was I doing having two cocktails before going out there? I certainly wasn't addicted. I had a dependency, but that dependency did not serve me. So I had to lead with even more congruency by saying, guys, I stopped alcohol. I stopped weed. The next week I stopped weed. So November 12th, I stopped alcohol uh, last year. Uh, next week, I'm like, fuck it. I'm not even going to smoke weed. Like I used to smoke weed like every, I don't know, four weeks or every six weeks. And then I got some wild hair up my ass. And I'm like, the week after that, I was like, muscle stopping Diet Coke. And then I realized, wait a minute, I actually enjoy Diet Coke from time to time. I'm going to show some grace to myself. But um, you, you have to become more congruent when you do something that's just you looking down the barrel of a camera, speaking to the masses. And that's been the greatest self-development uh, leap that I've had in the last 12 months. Any of these limiting beliefs that you struggled with before, do they ever creep up on you, especially with what you're doing now? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. On May 20th, so as we sit here, today is October something, 1920. I don't know what it is. But on May 20th, I tore my tricep, like 95% of my tricep <laughs> retracted up. I was boxing with my son, and I threw a left cross, and he checked me, and pop goes my tricep. Working out is as therapeutic for me as it is just for physical health. Uh, you know this. And so I found myself getting a little funky because I can't do chest presses, shoulder presses, tricep presses, can't do burpees, can't do push-ups. So it was literally using the uh, cable fly machine, 10 pounds, doing 200 reps at a time on one side, and you could see your muscles atrophying. Everything had turned black and blue. The doctors are telling you they want to cut you and reattach and all this stuff, and you're like, but I got all these speaking gigs I got to do. I can't be in the sling and in the cast, and I don't have the time or desire for that. And so the moment there's a life ambush, as my friend Jason Redman uh, a retired Navy SEAL and former coaching client and now a dear friend says, when you are at a, when you're sitting on the X of a life ambush, you're going to start, the old skeletons are going to come and start haunting you again. And hey, you know, you're going to start putting on weight. Hey, you're never going to be as strong again. Hey, you're never going to be as mobile again. You're not going to be able to wrestle your son again and do jujitsu and box. And so I've had to reconcile with that. But then I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, wait a minute, I'm able to contract that one little tricep. And I remember when I tore my bicep, I couldn't contract it because it was fully detached. I reread the MRI stuff and it's like, oh, one of the heads are still kind of attached. Smart enough to know that the body builds scar tissue. If I stay in a positive mental attitude, if I can eat healthy and clean, if I can give myself time to heal, if I can get ultrasound, and laser treatments on that tendon, on that muscle, maybe there's hope. And so here we are. I haven't gotten the surgery. I'm 85% got my strength back. Uh, I'm about ready to go out and surf again because to surf, you have to do a burpee to pop up on your board, right? You paddle, 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 and then you catch the wave and you do a burpee to pop up on your board. And the burpee is what I wasn't able to do. 
And so I'm realizing that, dude, I might be able to actually live with a torn tricep because the rest of that muscle is developing and growing. Uh, but it put me in a funk because for a while there, I was disabled. And so the darkness comes, the self-doubt comes, the shit man being jacked and big and lean is part of my identity, right? Uh, same thing during the pandemic. We lost 218 franchise locations. And Fit Body Bootcamp is definitely part of my identity. Like, it's helped me grow. So again, another, another X that I was sitting on, ambush, life ambush. Uh, yet another one, three weeks ago, my mom died. We knew she was going to die. She had Alzheimer's. I was there holding her hand, rubbing her head, talking to her. She took her last breath. Uh, we buried her just last week. She's her mom, man. You're, she's her connection to the world. Like, you came from her. She's her connection to the world. And you realize... I'm up next. And my mom was my best friend when we came to this country. My dad, my older brother, older sister, they all had multiple jobs. Me and my mom were trying to figure out Kmart and Jemco and Zodis and food stamps and how we're going to, you know, piece together food for that evening for the family. All these thoughts start coming in. And, and, and when those thoughts start coming in, you feel your vibrational frequency goes down. And when your vibrational frequency goes down, that is when the negative self-talk begins. That is when the limiting beliefs begin. So I almost look at it as like a Microsoft computer, Microsoft-driven computer. Like it can isolate the virus, but it's never going to get rid of the virus. In fact, if you remember the McAfee virus scan and all these different virus scans that were out there, it always said the virus has been quarantined. Never, it never removed it off the hard drive. It was quarantined. And I almost look, feel like an injury or any kind of life ambush can open up that box to allow the virus to come back up. This is why, again, you need great life structure, a good circle of influence who like believes in you, shares your core values, eat right, sleep right, have all your shit in order because the life ambush is inevitable. Mom's going to die. Pandemic's going to happen. Tricep's going to tear. Car accident's going to happen. Someone's going to get diagnosed with cancer. And when they do, it is my structure and discipline that's going to pull me through when the devil starts speaking and whispering in my ear. I think that's ultimately one of the biggest mindset shifts that people need to make is their relationship with pain and how they, they know they need to like figure out a way to deal with that and not use it as an excuse to, to drink more alcohol or smoke the weed right. or get into all these other... It's easier to do that. It's easier sure. to go to the escape tools. I'm going to watch so much TV that I don't think about my mom or my tricep until I get fat and ugly and, uh, right? It's, it's easy to do it. Or I'm just going to drink and smoke until the pandemic's over. But now I've lost 500 locations instead of 200. You have to address the thing. And you have to address it in the most inefficient way. And the most inefficient way is to actually problem solve through it. The efficient but horrible way to do it is let me just smoke and drink and vice myself through it but it only gets worse on the other side of it. What are some of the things that you would recommend somebody doing if they're faced in the, in the thick of adversity? Maybe they're lacking the, the discipline that you have, but they're trying to, to, to work their way there when they've hit this roadblock and they don't know what to do. Well, uh, number one, build the life structure, the, the, the support system, your community, your circle of influence, control the thoughts and the input. Do all of that, the discipline, do all of that before the life ambush comes. Like, if you're watching this and listening to this and you're like, life is pretty good right now. Great, great. Build a better circle of influence around you. Build a better structure, more discipline. Get your workouts in. Learn to eat right. So that when the inevitable, inevitable, not maybe, inevitable life ambush comes, you could lean on that. Now, if you're like, oh, shit, I'd have no life structure. Everyone around me is a loser. 
I don't work out. I don't eat right. I'm smoking and drinking my way through, through the days. I feel horrible. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I just feel like the world is over. And I just got some bad news. I just hit the X of ambush. Holy hell. Well, you know what? You do the three C's. You control what you can. You cope with what you can't control. And you concentrate on what counts. So in that moment, you're like, what can I control? Well, I can control my thoughts right now. I can control if I'm alone or if I'm talking to friends who actually care for me, love on me, and pour into me. I can control a workout. Maybe I don't want to go to the gym on my own because I don't trust myself. I'll walk out after doing one set. So I'm be like, hey, Doug, hey, Ed, can you guys come to the gym with me? Let's work out together. I'm in a dark place. I'm going to lean on my community. I'm going to start reaching out, but I'm not going to be the lone wolf because the lone wolf dies, the wolf pack survives. I'm going to trust on my pack, control the controllables, cope with what you can't control in that moment or in that phase of life, and then understand that con you have to concentrate on what counts. And there's only a small handful of things you need to concentrate on. Like, am I working out? Am I eating right? Do I have a good circle of influence? You know, am I showing gratitude for even being alive? And maybe you're like, actually, I don't want to be alive right now. I don't want to be alive right now. So I'm not grateful for being alive. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, there's a dude with like one leg and one prosthetic leg um, hobbling through life. You got two working legs. So maybe if you just compare yourself and realize maybe it's okay to be alive. Maybe I do have it better than some people. And this is just a phase of life and this too shall pass. And we have to look at it that way. If we don't, we start making these permanent decisions while under temporary feelings. Uh, and that is the worst way to lead yourself through life. You coach a lot of people um, on how to go from making not a lot of money to a ton of money, from being in the depths of despair to living a awesome, meaningful, purpose-driven life. And I think a lot of times people will see things online and they're like, I can never achieve that. It's so far away. Like that person is so far away from where I'm at that they forget that that person had to start somewhere near where that person is. How do you get your clients to focus on the here and now and, and, and stack those small wins? Because I mean, I'm sure you have a, a wide variety of clients. Some might be worth a hundred million. Some might be worth a hundred thousand. Like how do you how do you help them with that? Uh, I, I've got a client who's, uh, you know, their, you know, their company is doing $1.2 billion a year. And they're trying to acquire their next nearest competitor right now. And he's like, but man, they're making like almost $2 billion. How are we, the smaller guy, going to acquire them? I'm like, wait a minute. You're looking at acquisition date right now, like the day we acquire them. What can we do between now and the date we acquire them? Let's look at that as a staircase. If it's a staircase that has 10 steps, what is the next step we can look at? Well, we need to start raising capital. Great. Let's not worry about acquiring them right now. Let's worry about raising capital. What do we need to do to start raising capital? So that maybe that's step five, raising capital. Well, step four is we actually need to put ourselves out there. Like we need to find some investment bankers and then build a pitch deck. And then they need to take us to all these private equity that have capital. Ah, look at that. So now we're not even talking about buying the competitor anymore or raising capital. Now we're talking about building a pitch deck with some investment bankers who've done this a million times. What do you know? Well, okay, let's still go down to the third flight, third step of the staircase. Forget the 10th. Have you ever found an investment banker? No. Do you know any company that has worked with an investment banker? Yes. So let's find an investment banker. What's the process? Well, we're going to ask a few friends that own businesses and go, hey, who's the investment banker that you trust that has helped you get capitalized so that you can make this bold move? Oh, wow. You see how, okay. Well, what do we do now? Now, so step one, we pick up the phone. Look how easy that was. But when we start, so 
Sometimes the problem is we compare our first year to someone else's 10th year, and I've had coaching clients do that. Like, well, look how much better they're doing than me. Dude, don't compare your first year to their 10th year. What you got to do is go, okay, that's the staircase. What do I need to do to get the first step up? And then the second step and the third step. But I can't see the fifth step. Yeah, it's a little foggy, isn't it? But if you got on the fourth step, the fifth step shows itself. And we, a good coach is able to not only give you marching orders, but also has the ability to hold back some marching orders because you're not quite there yet. The old coach version of me would have told that billion-dollar client, oh, dude, all right, so let's talk about how we're going to get acquired. Why don't we reach out to that company and go, look, we're interested in buying you. What's it going to take? They're going to laugh at us, right? The modern version of me is let's reverse engineer the process to getting there. And so there are plenty of times where a coaching client will say, all right, I'm building my personal brand. My coaching business has taken off. I think I want to start you know, acquiring other competitors. Hold on. Rather than teaching you that now, let's get systems in place, people in place, leadership in place so that you can acquire. And so a good coach and mentor is able to get them back to their singularity of focus, looking at the staircase, step, stair step that they're on and not the entire staircase. And then also providing outside eyes and letting them know you're going in the right direction. Um, that's worked for coaching clients who are trying to get from six figures to seven figures, seven to eight figures, eight figures to nine figures and beyond. So the process is the same. Uh, I've had a good friend named Nick Long. He says the business plan is simple. The businessman is complex. And so oftentimes I end up butting heads with the businessman. And then we go, all right, let's do a little deep dive. Like, why are you so eager to get where they are? in such a short amount of time? Like, what makes you believe that you deserve it? And they start going, oh, yeah, I guess they paid their dues. They did the focused work. They probably made some bad decisions in, in the process because that's the cost of doing business. Yeah, you're right. Like, maybe I should. Okay, so is it ego? Is it like you feel inferior? Is it, so we'll have like these deep emotional conversations that have nothing to do with scaling a business and more to do with the coaching client's ego. And they go, oh shit, man, I'm showing up as my lower self, or I'm showing up from ego, or I hate that guy because he used to work with me. Now he went on to do this other thing, and so I want to take him down. We can solve through all that by working on the businessman. Last question. So I think, you know, speaking of the complexity of, of the human mind, I'm sure a lot of people come to you and they struggle with a victim mindset. They're feeling sorry for themselves. They're like in that mode of like, well, I'm never going to be like that person. My life sucks. It must not be worthy or whatever. Like how do you how do you help somebody snap out of that? It, it goes back to the very first answer: get lean and jacked. If if they're in that state, my life's not worthy. I'm not in a good place. You know, this sucks. I'm the victim. Odds are they also have 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 pounds to lose. And so, hey, I got an idea. Let's get lean and jacked. Wait, what? I'm in a dark place right now. Great, great. Let's go get lean and jacked. Because again, hire a coach, a nutrition coach, a personal trainer. Pay money. Be held accountable. Get lean and jacked. How's that going to help me? I'm in a very dark place right now. I'm the victim. I get it. But once you have abs, once you have veins in your body, once you feel proud of this fucking vessel that you've built, you have such high confidence. You have such great rapport with yourself. You have such great reputation with self that you're like, bring on the new challenge, sir. All of a sudden, that doubt and depression and all that shit goes away. It starts with self. Starts with the self. So, Bedros, thank you so much again for coming back on. If people want to connect with you, if they want to listen to the, the new revamp podcast, 
Where's the best place to do that? Uh, best place is to probably connect with me either on YouTube at Bedros Koulian or on Instagram at Bedros Koulian. Amazing. I'll be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And uh, thanks again for coming on, man. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate it. You got it.